Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. It's good to see all of you folks here on uh, Pentecost Sunday. How many of you, how many of you, when you hear the word Pentecost Sunday, you actually know what that represents or, or what the meaning of Pentecost Sunday. I'm just curious. Let me see your hands. I get what Pentecost Sunday is. First of all, we are a Pentecostal church. Amen? Amen. And so Pentecost Sunday was 50 days after the ascension of Jesus Christ, after his crucifixion, and he ascended back into heaven. 50 days after that, he told his followers to meet in that upper room in Jerusalem. And those of you that are making plans to go on the Holy Land tour next March, and I'm hoping as many of you that can possibly go will join us because we'll be standing in that very room. And, and it's the same room where they received the bread and the wine on the Last Supper. It's the same room they went and gathered at when the Holy Spirit fell upon those 120 believers on, the, the, uh, on Pentecost Sunday. And so now, every 50 days after Easter, that Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. Who's glad you came to church today? A little history lesson, amen. So this is a great day, and, uh, but I find it very, uh, really kind of ironic that on, Pen- on the day of Pentecost, when uh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit was placed upon those people, uh, it seems to today to almost divide the body of Christ and is controversial in some aspects. Uh, whereas in Acts chapter 2, it came upon the believers because of their unity. I mean, this was a tightly knit group of folks. 120 of them, it said they were so knit so tight, it says that uh, there was a thing they could apparently all fit in one small car. It says they were all in one accord. You didn't pay to get in. You didn't pay to get in here. <laughs> it does seem a shame, don't you think, that when you begin to talk about <coughs> the gifts of the Spirit or the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that you know, not only do the unsaved seem to get a little nervous, but even a lot of Christians start to squirm and get uncomfortable. In fact, I would say, to be honest, uh, it's probably the Christians that start to squirm more than those who are unsaved, because for the most part, they don't have a clue what we're talking about, but Christians do, and it makes them a little nervous. Yet in the New Testament, there was absolutely no nervousness, no anxiety that was associated with receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the gifts that come with that. They were just, it was assumed that these things were just a natural part of the church and a natural part of the Christian experience. And it was something that was for all churches and for all people, all believers. There needs to be a, a new hunger for spiritual power in the church today. I am glad to report the fastest growing segment of Christianity in the world today are Pentecostals. And I think there's a good reason for that. I don't think that's by accident, and that's what we want to talk about this morning. The church and the believer cannot fulfill God's complete work for them without the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So I think it's reasonable to deduce that the more of the Holy Spirit that we have operating in our lives, the more of God's work we're going to be able to accomplish. Amen? Let me begin by reading from Acts 1, 4-8, the intro to this story today. It says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times nor the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It is not insignificant that Jesus himself told the disciples to go and do what? Wait. Go and wait for the promise of the Spirit, even before you begin to testify about me. I think one of the problems we have in the church today, in, in, in the Christian realm, is that people aren't willing to wait for anything. I mean, when we need something, we shoot up a prayer and we want a result right now. And uh, if we don't get it right now, well, then that means, uh, you know, the Lord's just not willing to work with us, right? You know, a lot of times it involves some waiting. Just like this incredibly important gift that Jesus wanted to make sure all these people had, he, he said, but now you're going to have to wait a little bit. But the point is, if the early church and the early believer needed the baptism in the Holy Spirit before beginning their ministry, why would we ever think that we don't need that today? I read a story about a pastor many years ago, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was uh, pastoring the famous Westminster Cathedral in London. He was a preacher of a very staunch, reformed theology. He was certainly not considered a Pentecostal minister. But something happened to Martin Lloyd-Jones near the end of his ministry. And one Sunday morning, he stood up behind that, that real tall, soaring wood pulpit that you've seen in a lot of the early churches. Who's ever seen one of those? I mean, those of you are standing up on those, and it's like you're soaring out and you're talking to all the little people, you know, in that big old massive pulpit. And he was, he'd stood up there hundreds of times, but to, there was something different on this day. And he began by asking his congregation this question. I quote, he said, I want to talk to you today about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You may call it what you want, but I want to know, have you experienced the fullness of the Spirit? I know all of you listening to me come as I do from a Reformed background, but it's not good enough. I know that all of you would want to say to my question about the Holy Spirit, well, yes, we got it all at conversion. There's no need for any more experience. Well said, Martin Lloyd-Jones. I only have one other question to ask you. If you got it all in conversion, then where in God's name is it? End of quote. The Bible teaches that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for all believers and that it is God's power to be a witness in the world around us. That's what the power is for. So we can be the best witness that we can possibly be. That's why God created all of us, to be a witness for Him. 
So this is a tool that helps us accomplish our job better than we can accomplish it without it. Jesus reminded them of the promised gift in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 4, he says, where he said, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. So when Jesus was about to physically leave earth to return to heaven, he knew his disciples had a very, very great need for the power of the Holy Spirit. He was going to leave, but the Spirit of God was going to come. In fact, Jesus told them earlier why it was so important for him to leave, because they didn't want him to leave. They'd been with him for three years. They really wanted him to hang around. But he said while here in, bo in bodily form, he could only be with some of them some of the time. But through the Holy Spirit, he could be with all of them all of the time. That was the difference. So it was to their advantage that he leave so the Spirit could come. So how important is the Holy Spirit to the church and the believer yet today? It is absolutely critical. I really don't believe we can successfully live for God without the power of the Holy Spirit. I think there's too many things bombarding us from the gates of hell that if we don't have power above and beyond ourselves, we will fall short. Now you notice Jesus' instructions to the disciples here. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised. There's no hesitation in his words uh, about the importance of this gift. He, he doesn't even want them to go out and start preaching about him without this gift in their life. Another point of importance was that this gift, it wasn't a part of their salvation. There are people today who preach, well, you're not saved unless you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues. If that hasn't happened, you're not even saved yet. This, that can't be true. Because all of these were certainly believers in Jesus Christ. They already had a measure of the Holy Spirit. In John 20, 22, it says, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus had given them a measure of his spirit following his resurrection. This, this new covenant was in effect. But this experience in the upper room, it wasn't about conversion. It was all about provision. If you're taking notes, write it down. This gift was not about conversion. It was about provision for those who had already experienced conversion. Conversion had to come first. Jesus would not send them out without the Spirit's power. So when Jesus ministered here on earth, everything that he did, he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God will never ask us to do something that he doesn't first empower us to do. So if your words say, I, I really feel God's asking me to do this, but I just don't think I can. Well, listen, he wouldn't be asking you if he didn't already know that you can do what he's asking. You just have to be obedient. And you need the power of the Holy Spirit to give you that boost to be obedient. The power of the Holy Spirit is essential to do the work of the kingdom of God. But in verses 6 and 7, we find something interesting about our human nature. As Jesus is telling them this, they're not really listening. They're not paying attention. 
They're more interested in what is about to happen in the future than they are of what's going on right now. And so they're asking Jesus questions pertaining to the future. He's trying to say, pay attention, you need, to have, you need this for right now. I think the same thing still happens to a lot of people today. You start thinking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and I'll tell you, you bring up that subject, a lot of times, see how fast that subject changes. People don't pay attention, or they get nervous, and they don't want to talk about it. They needed to get their focus off the future and, and look at how the Spirit of God was going to help them and empower them right then and now. Jesus said to them, he says when he realizes, you know, they're worrying about stuff you don't need to worry about, he says, it's not for you to know about the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, he's saying, quit worrying about tomorrow and just pay attention right now. The Holy Spirit's presence was to let them know that God was with them right then and there, not just something that was going to happen in the future. So the purpose of the Spirit's coming was to empower them before the future ever got there. It was for the present, amen? So we all need to realize the importance of the Holy Spirit's power in our life today. This is an illustration I've used before, but I think it speaks. Someone said, and I'll tell you in a minute who said this, and maybe you remember. Someone said, there are only two forces in the world, the sword and the spirit. In the long run, the sword will always be conquered by the Spirit. Anybody have any idea who said that? Remember? Napoleon Bonaparte. I don't think he under, even understood the depth of what he was saying. In the long run, the sword will always be conquered by the Spirit. Let's talk about this power a little bit this morning. Verse 8 says, but you will receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is now shifting their attention from the coming kingdom to the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says, you're going to receive power when this gift comes. It wasn't just going to be some intellectual insight, you know, into the reality of the Spirit. It was, a, it was an actual, real power. They were going to know that something happened to them. The power was real. It wasn't just something they imagined. They were going to know something had happened. And, you know, let me say this about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That gift is not given to us by God just so we can have a little tingle and feel good. It's never meant to make one Christian feel superior to another Christian. It was never even meant to be something to be debated, but yet it's debated among denominations all the time. It was simply meant to give people power to be a better witness because that's what we were created to do. Why, let's, why not do the best job we possibly can, right? You know, I've used the illustration before in, in sermons on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a gift. It's a tool that is given to us so that we can be better at our job. I remember one time I had a big board up here and I called a couple of people up and gave them each a big nail and I gave one guy a hammer and I gave the other guy a big rock. I said, bang those nails into the board. Boy, they started in. Well, the guy with the hammer was done in 
a fourth of time. The guy with the rock, he slowly but surely was, was working on his job, getting that thing banged in there. But boy, the guy with the hammer was done in no time. That's kind of what this is. If you, if you have a job to do and someone offers you a tool to make that job easier and for you to be much more effective, don't you think we should take advantage of that? Grab the hammer, folks. Grab the hammer. So the power was to give them uh, power to witness. It, it was a power to give them boldness for Christ. And Jesus knew that in and of their own abilities, it wasn't going to be enough. And I think that is even more true today. Because I think there's more forces of the enemy bombarding us every day than at any point in human history. The work of evangelism, getting the gospel out, it has never depended on any of our clever little programs or events that we come up with. It's always depended on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think that explains why the Pentecostal movement is the fastest growing Christian movement worldwide. And I will say this, being an extrovert is not essential to sharing God's word with other people. You don't have to be an extrovert. You just need to have obedience and love. And you'll do fine. You don't have to be Mr. or Mrs. Outgoing or a great public speaker to win people to Christ. You just have to be obedient to the Holy Spirit when he prompts you to say something or when he prompts you to be loving towards someone that is not very lovable. You know, we have a tendency to pat ourselves on the back a lot when we do something loving towards something towards someone who's loving to us. Well, that's the easiest thing in the world to do. Let's give out the awards for people who do something loving to people who are just the biggest jerks in the world. They're not easy to be loving towards, are they? But God says we have to show love to everyone. And I'll tell you what, the big jerks that you come in contact in the world, you're never going to win them to Christ by being a big jerk back to them. Never going to work. It just makes both of you more jerky. Right? Both of you. So this power is also the power to proclaim. Verse 8 says, and you will be my witnesses. You know, this gift isn't for personal blessing in our life. It's for our ability to proclaim Christ to others. It's power with a purpose. This first church, I tell you, they were the real purpose-driven church. Purpose-driven church is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, these people who were in that upper room, they already had the words of Jesus. They had his word. But I would tell you this, the word without the spirit cannot accomplish all of the purposes that God has for you. Neither can the spirit without the word. We have to have both. You know, you, in other words, what I'm saying is you can read the word all day long, but without allowing the Holy Spirit to allow it to speak into your life, you're going to miss out on a lot. And on the other end of the spectrum, people can get caught up in manifestations of the Spirit, but if they don't apply God's Word, if they're not placing His Word in their life, they just become this loud, clanging, annoying symbol. Maybe you've met a few of those before. 
I've been in this thing a long time. I've, I've known people, man, they could just start speaking in tongues at the drop of a hat, but they walk out of the church, they just live like the devil. They were all into the manifestations, but not really into getting his word really planted into their life. Someone said this, if you have the word without the spirit, you dry up. The word without the spirit. If you have the spirit without the word, you blow up. But if you have both the Word and the Spirit, you grow up. And there's a lot of truth in that. And so Jesus had already taught them much of His Word, but they needed the power of the Holy Spirit in order to proclaim it effectively. Now, here's another important aspect of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It, doesn't, it isn't created to make or given to you to make you better than somebody else. But this much is for certain. It will absolutely make you better than yourself. If you want to be the best version of who God has called you to be, then you need the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life because you're not going to cut it just by yourself. It will enable you to be a witness for Christ in ways you wouldn't otherwise be able to. In other words, it allows you to be loving and share the gospel with people who are incredibly unloving. So it is a very, very valuable gift. It's not just another option in the cafeteria plan of Christianity. Oh, this sounds good. Yeah, I think, I think I'll have some of that. And maybe have a little of that. Ooh, that, that doesn't look very fun over there. I think I'll stay away from that and leave that for somebody else. So in Acts 2... In Acts, the second chapter, this great promise of God finally comes to the church. I want to read it to you. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came in, came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia. Pontus and Asia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, all of you, who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to this. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. 
I will show wonders in the heaven above the signs on the earth below, blood and fire on billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. So, so the coming of the Holy Spirit, it was a very, very personal thing. The Holy Spirit didn't just come upon the church which was gathered in that upper room. It says that the fire separated on each one of them individually. All of them were filled. Not just some, not just a few, not a select group. It says all. And yet today, a lot of people feel that this gift that was given to the early church is not something that we need today. Doesn't make sense. Their experience before Pentecost and after is just as different as night and day. Boldness, power, courage, all of these things came into the life of those who had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were very, very different people after they received that gift. The fire of God's Spirit took this group of people and, I mean, just shaped them into His church, a church that was full of power. The fire of the Holy Spirit made a difference in their lives and in the, in the world around them. There was no doubt something supernatural had happened. The sound of the rushing wind, the tongues of fire, the speaking in tongues. Something very powerful had happened, and most people today seem uh, happy to accept the thought of the baptism in the Holy Spirit if it's without the signs and the wonders. That part scares them a little bit. And the question, you always get it, well, why tongues? Why uh, is the initial physical evidence have to be speaking in another tongue? I think James had it figured out. He said in his epistle, he said, the tongue is the most unruly member of the body. The last part of your body to submit to God is this thing right here. How many of you will admit some of the biggest, the biggest messes you've ever gotten yourself into in your life had to do with this thing right here? I mean, once it slips out, there's no putting it back in, right? These things are incredibly unruly, the most unruly member of our body. So what makes greater sense than to have the tongue under the control of the Holy Spirit as a evidence that the Holy Spirit is evident in your life. You've been baptized in His Spirit. It's the most logical and obvious initial physical evidence considering all of the teaching on how corrupt these tongues of ours are. But the thing is, it's just the initial evidence Something else has to come after that to make it really worthwhile. There has to be ongoing evidences of the fruits of the Spirit in someone's life. There's a lot more to the baptism in the Holy Spirit than just speaking in tongues. Not that it's unimportant, but there's just a lot that has to follow. It needs to be a life changer needs to be a game changer. People should be able to see a difference in us if we're claiming that we have received the baptism in the Holy Spirit and yet 
we're just living the same junky life outside of church that we always did. Nobody sees the difference. There's a problem there. Probably didn't happen. Paul talks about tongues as speaking unto God even when we don't understand what we're saying, but we know that the Spirit is speaking through us by God's will. You know, sometimes our own language is, is just so limited, we don't know how to express the Spirit's thoughts. There are times we know we need to pray, but we're in the middle of a situation and we don't even know what to say for sure. Who's been there? Tough, tough times in life. That's when praying in the Spirit takes over or needs to take over. Because we begin to pray, but in faith we begin to pray in another tongue. We don't even know what we're saying, but God does. And we're saying what needs to be said because what we're saying is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through our faith, we're speaking it out. So, Paul teaches in Romans 8 that this also is what the Holy Spirit does for us. When we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit knows precisely what we need and what we need to pray. And the Father understands perfectly. They were all transformed on Pentecost Sunday. The church found power to do the work that God had called them to do. Each one of them were powerfully transformed on that day of Pentecost. It wasn't just about the church in general. It was about this personal experience that every one of them had. You know, today you hear a lot about what the church needs. We need revival. We need, we, we just, the church needs revival. You know where it starts? It starts with you individually. It starts with each of us. It doesn't just start with the church. Well, I'm just waiting on the church to have revival. Well, you know, you're going to be waiting a while because it needs to start with you. Until it starts with you, you're not going to experience any revival. Starts right here, amen? No biblical, no biblical scholar has ever debated the change that came over the disciples once they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is why it's, it's too bad there's so much debate today over this subject. People should just, if they will just experience, for them, for, experience it for themselves, it'll take care of itself. The purpose of this baptism is to equip us to proclaim the gospel. That's it, in a nutshell. To give us power that we wouldn't normally have. Now, you, you might be saying, well, no, you just said it'll give us power to resist temptation. That's true. There are, it's all part of it. When we are able to resist temptation, we are proclaiming the gospel. If people see us giving in to temptations, and yet then we try to preach to them, it's worth absolutely nothing because we've already blown our witness. So all of these things come together uh, to prove that the power of the Holy Spirit helps us proclaim His gospel, helps us witness and be better witnesses. Amen? Peter was completely changed by this experience. You know, just not that many days earlier, he was, you know, he was ashamed to admit to a teenage girl that he even knew who Jesus was. And 50 days later, he stands up, boy, he boldly proclaims the gospel of Christ, preaches the first church sermon, and 3,000 people say, you know what, I think this guy's right. I'm going to follow what he's saying. That was a big change, right? 
That was not the same Apostle Peter uh, uh, before he'd been baptized in the Spirit. He's got power. He's got purpose. He's just preaching with authority. The Spirit's presence in the life of a believer keeps us steady. This is another gift, uh, part of the, the Holy Spirit living in our lives. It helps, keeps us on keel. God's power is a constant in our ability to walk with him even in the midst of storms around us in life. Here's a good example. Our human body itself is a good example of this. It's a pretty remarkable machine, this human body. It can maintain a constant temperature of right around 98.6 degrees no matter what the weather is outside. Whether you're at the Arctic Circle or you're standing at the equator, your inner temperature doesn't shift very much. There's, there's something in there controlling that. The Holy Spirit dwells within Christians, within us, to achieve this kind of stabilization in our life. So that whether we're in the midst of great times, glorious times, or whether we're in the midst of some real trials, some real storms, we don't have to be unstable in our life. We're up, we're down, we're... His Holy Spirit keeps us on even keel. It's a great, it's a great gift to have in, in your life. So, the Apostle Peter, who could barely convince someone to follow Jesus before, he preaches this sermon. 3,000 people are saved. He's just been baptized in the Holy Spirit. That was true for all of the disciples, all of those people in that upper room. Their lives became legendary because of their commitment to Christ and their preaching of the gospel. They no longer feared death. You see, they'd all been huddled in secrecy because they were afraid of getting killed. All of a sudden, that fear was gone. They understood that, hey, death just brings me complete victory. There's nothing we have to be afraid of. And I mean, they started preaching with boldness. And we know that 11 of the 12 disciples suffered death at the hands of man. Only one lived to a ripe old age, but they didn't care. The power of the Holy Spirit had given them the boldness to preach the gospel, to be effective. And many, many more people were brought to Christ by them being bold enough to preach the gospel than them hiding in a house somewhere because they're afraid they're going to get killed. Eventually, probably they would have got killed anyway, and no one would have come to Christ. But they were going to use their life to the fullest extent. And they didn't have to fear death because they knew death brought them life eternal. We need to understand that today. I mean, we live in a nation right now where we don't even have to fear death by saying, hey, I'm a Christian. I believe I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. There are certainly many, many places around the world today where you do have to fear for your life if you're going to proclaim that publicly. But it happens every day. People are put to death because they won't renounce Jesus Christ. But these are people who all have, they get it. I am not going to renounce my faith in Jesus because even if they kill me, they can't kill me. They cannot win. The only person who can win in this scenario is me. They put me to death, I get everlasting life. We need to understand that, don't you think? Because we get all worked up and worried and scared over silly things. 
things that are inconsequential, we can just spend days, weeks, months, and even years worrying about. The only thing that awaits us is complete victory if we just hold on, if we don't give up, if we continue to fight the fight, and if we continue to allow His Holy Spirit to operate in our lives. Why would anyone not want this gift today? I don't know. I'll close, i wrap it up with this. God has promised to give us what we need and He has promised to give His Holy Spirit to anyone who will simply ask for it. Man, you don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to do, you know, some mysterious, magical thing. You, all you have to do is ask. Jesus said, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, we don't have to, this isn't a gift we need to fear. It's a gift we need to embrace. All it's going to do is make us stronger. God desires to empower us to do his work. That's why it's such a valuable gift. Too many Christians today see the baptism of the Holy Spirit as, as like an option. Well, you know, if some people want it, that's fine. This is not for me. Nowhere in the book of Acts is it ever viewed this way. Jesus asked for every, every follower to wait for that promise and to receive it. Everyone. And it says on the day of Pentecost, they were all filled. At the house of Cornelius, they were all filled. No one left out. There's little doubt that the disciples had radically, radically changed after receiving the power of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it is a free gift that you just ask God for and then you receive it by faith. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.